Uh, today we begin a new teaching series uh, that we're calling Experiencing Spiritual Vitality. Because so many of us have those questions around, okay, I understand God, believing in him, but he, can he really make a difference in my life daily? Is there a way to experience his strength day by day? And we know this. We know that we make physical, vocational, financial strategies as we move into new year. So we want to consider how do we build and sustain spiritual strength? What is our strategy for that? And we want to just kind of roll up our sleeves and go after this question together. And I want you to let you know right at the start what the thesis is of this. Here's what I'm suggesting. That the essential source for you and I to experience spiritual vitality in our lives is not a program. It's, it's not some formula. It's not taken on a particular outlook of life. The essential source for you and I, you and I to experience spiritual vitality in our lives is a person. It is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if any of you hear that and go, oh boy, the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me ask you this. How clear are you really, re really, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit? Because this is my sense. I, I think a lot of people, even many people who've been following Jesus for a number of years, can have kind of a clear picture of who God the Father is his power, his grace, quite clear to them. They can have clarity around Jesus the Son, around what he offers us, and a very clear picture of who Jesus is. But even so, the Holy Spirit can still remain kind of fuzzy or vague. You know what I mean? I don't think it helps that the King James Version refers to him as the Holy Ghost. It's partly, the great preacher A.W. Tozer put it this way, that even when the average Christian thinks about the Holy Spirit, he or she is likely to imagine a nebulous substance like a wisp of invisible smoke, which is said to be present in churches and to hover over good people when they die. So what I'd like us to do in this series is to consider how the Holy Spirit can provide actually stamina and, and strength and joy for you to experience spiritual vitality in your life. And I want you to know, if you're skeptical, even as I'm saying this, that is absolutely okay. Let, let's just walk through this week and, and the coming weeks together. Let's just consider this, all right? And, and to do that, let's just start here. Turn, if you would, if you have your Bible with you or a Bible app, and I'd encourage you to bring one of those. It, it helps to see I'm, I'm reading the right text and so on. Turn to John chapter 16, the gospel of John chapter 16. And I want to give you the context. In John 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. In, in fact, in John 14 to 16, that, that section's often called the last discourse of Jesus. It, it's Jesus giving some final teaching to his disciples because he's trying to prepare them for his imminent departure. And this is what Jesus says, John chapter 16. And as we hear this, remember, this is the word of God. And it says in verse 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Just pause there for a second. I tell you the truth. Jesus says to his followers, it's for your good that I'm leaving you. And I, I just want you to consider the shock those words would have to Jesus' disciples. 
I mean, just kind of for a moment, try to imagine yourself as a disciple. Imagine yourself in that place, that your life has just been turned upside down by this man, Jesus. For three years, you've been captivated, captivated by his every word. And you've left everything to follow him, his family, career, friends, everything. And you're convinced that this man holds the key to the human race. And you bet everything on him. And now he says, sorry, I got to go. I mean, really, in some sense, it would be in that moment kind of a sense of the end of your world. And then Jesus has the audacity to add, and I want you to know, it's a good thing for you that I'm leaving. You try to imagine, what would the disciples' immediate response been to that, especially Peter? Wonder what he said or thought. Are you joking, Jesus? And Jesus wasn't. He was quite serious. In fact, he goes on to add this in verse 7. I tell you the truth, it is your advantage I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. I want you to understand what a staggering statement it is, friends. I don't know if you, like me at times, do you ever try to imagine what would it have been like being one of Jesus' disciples then? To actually kind of live beside him, to, to walk with him through the day, to, to hear his teaching, to, to watch him heal, to just journey with him in the flesh side by side, like the disciples experience. I mean, how incredible would that have been? But Jesus says, he's saying here, understand, it is better to live in this era of the Holy Spirit than to have walked with me on this earth. I mean, Jesus is saying in this, that that really today, we are more blessed today than his disciples were. That really, you and I, we have an advantage over those who actually lived with, ministered with, walked with Jesus. So do you believe it? And it's an amazing statement, right? If it's true. I mean, if we do believe this, if it's true then we'd probably need to be crystal clear on the ministry and identity of this one whom Jesus calls our helper, right? So let's read on in John 16. Some more words from Jesus in that moment. This from verse 12. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all the truth. Then verse 14, and he will glorify me. Now understand this. One, the primary role really of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. Not to lift up himself, but to lift up Jesus. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I mean, Jesus is saying that the Spirit, is, in one way we could view it this, the Spirit is something like a funnel through whom the blessings of God come to us. And understand, the Christian life is nothing other than life in the Spirit. I want you to hear, the Christian life is nothing other than life in the Spirit. Amen? That's what the Christian life is. So in our study today, we want to look at, okay, what then do we believe about the Holy Spirit? And I really want to kind of shape this talk around a word, a term that Jesus used repeatedly to describe the Holy Spirit in his final discourse here to his disciples. Because in the original Greek writings of these scriptures, Jesus repeatedly uses a Greek term, parakletos. You want to say it with me? 
parakletos. Now, it's a really rich, vivid Greek term of that day used to describe the person of the Holy Spirit. And remember, the Holy Spirit is not some force. It is a person as much as God the Father is and God the Son is. He is a person. And, and the word parakletos used to describe the Spirit, it's actually formed from two other Greek words. Para, which means to come alongside, and clay, which means to call. He is the one who is called alongside of us. That's the spirit. So, so Paracletus, it's typically translated in our English translations. It can be either advocate or you'll see it as comforter, helper, or counselor often. And outside of these three chapters here in John 14 to 16, that term is only used one other time in the New Testament in 1 John 2. There it's used to describe Jesus who really was the first Paracletus for us. But every other time in the New Testament, that term is used to describe the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, Jesus is talking about the paracletus, this helper, the counselor that's about to come. And he makes an amazing promise, an amazing promise in, in verse 17 about the spirit of truth. Jesus said, the world cannot receive the spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, listen, for he dwells with you and, here's the thing, he will be in you. That's another stunning statement. This teaching of the New Testament of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Meaning this, as we see it laid out in scripture, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit actually takes up residence within your person, in your life. And Jesus says, he is thereby your helper, your counselor. So today, I want to look at this idea of the Holy Spirit being our counselor. So let's first just think for a moment about your need for a good counselor. You ever make a dumb decision? Don't need to raise your hand. I mean, you ever worry about things that, you know, worrying doesn't do one bit of good to help with? Ever have people problems? Ever mismanage anger? You ever beat yourself up about things that actually aren't your fault? I mean, you ever kind of have regrets when you look back at something you did and, and the way you lived in a certain situation? You ever do that? Okay, therefore, turn to the person next to you real quick. Just actually turn to them and say, dude, I need a counselor. All right? Every one of us. Because, friends, we all need one. And Jesus said, that he's giving to us what Lloyd Ogilvie calls the greatest counselor in the world. And friends, this is a provision in the Holy Spirit that actually can change our lives. And so I, I brought some pictures to help us kind of walk through this talk today. And, and the first one, the primary one is this. Can you guess what kind of room that is? Did anyone say counselor's office? You see that Kleenex box over there? Just a dead giveaway. You know, okay, there it is. That's a counselor's office. Now understand this. I, I, some things happen when you're in the presence of a counselor. And our earthly human counselors can be a great encouragement and help to us. I mean, whether you go to a counselor who's a professional therapist or maybe a wise, trusted friend. But <laughs> one of the things that happens when you come into a room like this is hopefully... For one, you receive wisdom, right? You, you get some kind of insight. Maybe you start to get clarity about what 
what's going on in your heart or begin to discover the truth about some motives in your life and so on. But here's the thing. You don't just stay there in the room all day long, right? Because at some point, you need to leave the room. Hopefully the room has helped you prepare for life, but you have to leave it. But wouldn't it be nice if you had a great counselor, if that counselor would actually go with you into your life? Wouldn't that be nice? Journey with you through your day? Because the ideal counselor wouldn't just be there in counseling sessions, but would actually go into life with you and provide wisdom along the way in how you're to live. And friends, why don't you understand? All of this, the Holy Spirit does. So in our remaining time, I want to walk through three works that the Holy Spirit, our counselor, does when he takes up residence and, and begins to, uh, uh, we begin to allow him free reign in our lives. And I have a picture, kind of reminder for each three of these works of the Spirit, all right? Here's the first one. First one's a GPS map, all right? And, and that's just to remind us of this. It represents the fact that the greatest counselor in the world, the Holy Spirit, offers guidance to us. Because I think I'm safe to say, we tend to be a directionally challenged people. Now, my wife, Jillian, and I, we have a, a GPS or a map app, and when we're driving somewhere, it's always on. I mean, Jillian faithfully keeps it open when I'm driving someplace. Oddly, even if I don't ask her to open it, it's open. <laughs> because personally, I, I think I know exactly where I need to go and the best way to get there. She doesn't share my confidence in that. And there's actually some real good empirical reason for her perspective on that. But here's the reality for all of us. In life, we desperately need guidance. And the Holy Spirit of God offers guidance to us. Look at how it's put in Scripture. This is in the first epistle of John, way near the end, just before Revelation. We read this in 1 John. This is in 1 John, in chapter 2, verse 20. And, and, and John here is addressing the issue. Okay, where does wisdom, spiritual guidance come from? And John says this. But you've been, listen, anointed with the Holy One. That's the Holy Spirit. You've been anointed with the Holy Spirit, and you all, therefore, have knowledge. Meaning that if you follow Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus as Lord, you've been anointed with the Spirit. The Spirit indwells you. He leads you. And if you're responding to him in this, he provides you knowledge along the way. And, and actually, there's another wonderful promise with this back in John's gospel. This is in John 16. And here again, this amazing statement from Jesus in verse 13. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into what? All the truth. The, the spirit seeks to guide us in truthful ways. And understand, the spirit can do this in our lives. That the spirit of God really can, really does guide us. That the greatest counselor in the world specializes in guidance counseling. Remember how James put it in his letter. This is what James wrote. This is from James chapter 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it'll be given to him. I mean, God, he really can guide you even when you don't realize how he's guiding you, how he's prompting you. Okay, and if that's the case, then, then we need to be real careful in discerning the guidance we receive from the Spirit, right? For one, we need to remember this. We need to remember the Spirit never guides in a way that is in contradiction to God's Word, to the Scriptures. 
So therefore, if any time I or anybody claims to be guided by the Spirit, and they're doing something that goes directly against the Scripture, okay, we, we know it's not the Spirit that's leaving, leading them. They aren't perceiving accurately in some way. And, and understand, a primary or the primary guidance tool of the Spirit in our lives is this sword of the Spirit. That's what he often uses to guide us with. In our sense of being guided by the Spirit, we all also then... To, to test that with discerning friends who are following Jesus. Every one of us should have individuals we trust around us, like, like I do in my life, to whom we can ask, okay, I'm feeling prompted in a certain direction here. Does, does this make sense? Do you think I, I might be off track? Am, am I missing something here? Do I have my signals mixed? Because God, our spirit, he really is in the business of guiding. He really will do that. You know, just for myself, as I've been reading and studying this this week and previous weeks, just preparing for the series, I, I, I've just been saying to the Holy Spirit, and, and as a result of all this, okay, Spirit, I want to be your counselee. I, I want to have kind of deep, intimate, kind of private, heart-opening sessions with you. H Holy Spirit, I, I want to ruthlessly follow your counsel, and I know I don't always do that. I know there are times where I know the truth or where I feel nudged by you in a certain direction and even so, I start drifting another way. I, I know that's true and I don't want that. And Spirit, I want you to be my counselor. And really today and in the series, I, I'm inviting you to say the same. For, for all of us together, kind of go on this adventure together of allowing the Holy Spirit to become our permanent in-residence counselor because he wants to guide us. Then a second work of the Spirit. A second thing this greatest counsel in the world wants to do. The Holy Spirit empowers us for life. He empowers us, friends. This is how Paul put it. This was his prayer in light of this reality to the church in Ephesus. In, in Ephesians chapter three, verse 16, Paul said this. I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with what? with power, through his spirit, who is in your inner being, who is in the very core of who you are. I mean, Paul prays, I pray that you'll be made powerful, not on your own, not because you're becoming more disciplined, not by self-effort, but by the Holy Spirit empowering you. So I got another picture to help us remember this. All right, I went with a diehard battery. What do you think? I mean, just, just one picture we could use. Kind of had sympathy on Sears in light of this. And here's the question I want to ask you under this category. What do you, would you say you're doing in your life right now that you could not do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? What might that be? I mean, the, the battery is a source of power. It enables us or it makes possible what would not be possible apart from it. And, and really thinking on this, I think, how much of my life, reflecting on it, how much of my life do I go through a day really not plugged in, not resting in the one source of power that it can enable me to live with his strength? How often do I go through the day where I just don't even think of him, I, I'm not paying attention to listening to him, I don't even ask him for guidance? But again, the Holy Spirit is the source of power for Christian living. I mean, put it in these terms, think about this. When was the church born? The, the, the church wasn't born at Christmas, right? It, it wasn't. 
It wasn't born of the crucifixion. It wasn't born of the resurrection. The church wasn't born at the ascension of Jesus. Jesus, before he ascended, did not say to his followers, all right, start trying to be the church now. What did he say? He said to them, get in Jerusalem and stay there. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift my father's promised. That's what Jesus said. And what was that gift? This is what Jesus said in Acts, in Acts 1.8. Jesus said, but you'll receive what? Friends, you will receive power. When do we get that power? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what will happen then? Okay, then you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, right where you live, and over to Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And so we know this. The church was born on Pentecost, right? And you ask the question, why? Because that's when the Spirit came. Understand, no spirit, no power, no church, right? No spirit, no power, no church. If some have asked before, would we even notice at times as the spirit was removed from the church, would it even affect our activities? Are we so dependent on the work and empowering the church like the early church was that immediately we know we've lost something? Because the reality is without the spirit, there's no power, there is no church. Because at the very earliest mention of the Spirit, in God's Word, in the Old Testament even, the Spirit is associated with power. Just one example of this. This from the Old Testament, an example, Judges 14 talks about Samson. And and this is what we read in Judges 14, 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and although Samson had nothing in his hand, he tore a lion to pieces, like one tears apart a young goat. And we all know how easy it is to tear apart a young goat, right? Does anybody know that? Apparently it's really easy. Because the Spirit of God came upon him and he was empowered. Here's the thing though, in the Old Testament though, the Spirit was present like that in a life, only sporadically. The Spirit would come upon somebody and then be removed. Praise God, not so for us. Hear again Paul's words to that church in Ephesus as he grounded their hope and their empowering on this reality. Ephesians 3.16, he prayed that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, who is where? He is in your inner being. You have him, you've received him. So my question again is this, for us to reflect on even in the series. Friends, what are you trying to do? What are we trying to do that we could not do apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Samson couldn't tear apart a lion apart from the Spirit's empowering. The disciples couldn't expand the church apart from the Spirit. So what are you trying to do that you couldn't do apart from the Spirit? What difficult sin are you seeking to overcome? What tough challenge of area in your life are you seeking to grow in? What difficult person are you trying to love? What risky ministry are you moving forward in faith saying, oh God, you better show up in this? What are you doing that you couldn't do apart from the Spirit? Now here's the thing, when we do that, when we take risks for and with the Spirit, sometimes we will fail. That's reality. And that brings us to the third wonderful work that the greatest counselor in the world does for us. A third thing that the Holy Spirit does is this. The Holy Spirit seals us as God's own children Seals us as God's own children. Again, this is Paul. This is in Ephesians again. In Ephesians in chapter one, in verse 13. Paul says, 
having believed in him. Have you believed in him? You were then in that time sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And understand that sealing of the Holy Spirit upon you, it is a guarantee to you of the inheritance to come for you. Now I want, many of you know the imagery of this. I just want to make sure we all do. In ancient times, kind of sealing worked like this. I mean, before there were adhesives or post-it notes or so on, a, a document would be sealed, important document would be sealed with wax, and then the emperor's or the king's mark would put, be put upon that wax to mark its identity, to say, this belongs to the king. Don't mess with this. This is secure. This is a king. No one tamper with this. That's a seal, and it said, this is a king's. And so Paul said to the Ephesians, he says to us today, that's what the Holy Spirit's done for you. He has marked you. He's sealed you. I, I want to kind of expand this a bit. So turn over to Romans. Let, let's just see a picture of this. This is in Romans chapter 8. And, and Paul uses this terminology, this imagery again. Romans 8 verse 16. Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I sense it. This is my identity. I am God's own child. Because God has sealed you with the Holy Spirit and God says because Christ died for you, because you put your faith in him, you are now mine. And with that understand, you therefore have the acceptance, the assurance, the love of God upon you. You have that through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit assures you of the acceptance and assurance of his being a child of God. And hear this, I want you to hear this. That assurance, that acceptance, that love from God is especially upon you when you feel least acceptable. I just so want to make sure you hear this. Uh, look again back in Romans 8. This is verse 22. Paul wrote, we know how the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What Paul is saying is this, that we live in a creation, this universe, which really is under the curse of the fall. That, that creation itself, the physical realm, actually experiences the consequences of our rebellion against God. So it experiences pain and frustration. Creation groans, Paul says. Then he adds this, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, even though the Spirit has sealed us, it doesn't mean we get a free pass to easy life in this world, right? Verse 23, even we therefore, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So not just creation groans, we also groan, right? All right. And Paul uses a really interesting word for that term groan there. It's a word that brings up imagery of just kind of deep sighing, just moaning. It's filled with sorrow, regret, and grief. Creation does that. And friends, we do that. Do you ever do that? Say that even within your heart, just kind of. <clears throat> you ever do something stupid, something you regret, and get frustrated and, and groan like. <clears throat> ever done dumb things before? You have, haven't you? I mean, I think we all know about that kind of groaning, right? In fact, let's do this. Let's do a group groan together. <laughs> ready? On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Mm. Yeah, you know groaning. You've done that before, I can tell. And, and, and I know you know it at deep levels. In, in those moments when you vow to control your temper and then you let it fly, you wound somebody you love. 
Or you determine you're going to stay sexually pure, and, and then you just fall, you mess up. Or, or you're resolved, you're going to live with peace of mind, you're going to trust God in these details of life, and then worry, anxiety just start to consume you. And then, or other things, you look back in your life, and the way a day has gone or a week has gone, and go, why is my face so small in this? How did I mess up again? And in those moments, where do you go? Where, where do you go when the pain is so deep, there's no words for it, but just all there is is like, <sighs> you go to the greatest counselor in the world who invites you to come to him. That's where you go. Because I want you to see this. This is extraordinary. Look at Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in what? In our weakness. For we don't even know what to pray as we ought. Just pause there for a moment. Paul doesn't say that the Spirit helps us in our strength. When we're really pursuing things well, when we're achieving things and we got self-discipline, he says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Even when we, we don't know how to pray or maybe we don't even feel like praying anymore. In those moments, the Spirit comes alongside of us. Paul says at that point that we feel weakest, when we're tempted to give in to those kind of ideas of if only, you know what I mean? That if only I loved God more, if only I prayed harder, if only it was, my faith was stronger. Right there, right in that place, right in that moment, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And what's even more remarkable is this. Look again at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Can you catch this? Think about this. The Holy Spirit of God, the omniscient, omnipotent God, reduces himself to groans for you. <laughs> he groans for you. The Holy Spirit groans on your behalf because he's the greatest counselor in the world. Author Lee Strobel, he tells a wonderful story about his daughter, Allison. Uh, Allison was a student teacher in grade school and was really little kids. And, and there was a little girl in her class was being tested by Allison. And this was a little girl who had kind of fallen way behind the other kids in class, was not doing well, and, and she knew it. Remember what that's like when you're a kid? You know, school can be a real fun place if, if you're smart or popular or studying comes easily to you and so on. But if your mind feels slow, if, if you don't kind of have that orientation in study where your brain catches on to certain things quick, you know what it's like to have other kids kind of think of you as a dumb one or the one who doesn't get it, the one that's always behind. And, and, and so you try hard in this, and you try hard to let the other kids know you're not trying hard, because you just can't stand that pain, and you feel like you can't keep up in it. And it's a miserable place for a kid, right? And so here's this little girl being tested, and she knows she's behind everybody. Everybody else is gonna know it, she knows it. And Allison said that this little girl just groaned. <laughs> And, and, and she said, this little girl, I have a bad feeling about this. I th this is going to be just like last year. And, and so Allison just threw her arms around that little girl and said, no, I'm going to help you. We're going to make it together. It'll be all right. It's okay. You are not on your own. Not this year. I, I'm going to come alongside you. We'll, we'll do this together. It's not just you by yourself. And friends, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit who 
intercedes for you with groanings beyond words, who, who longs to, in your life, provide guidance to give you wisdom, who wants to give you power for life, who, who seals you as being a child of God. And in the Holy Spirit, he throws his arms around you and says, I'm gonna share your deepest hurts and frustrations. You're not alone, you, you aren't alone. If you'll just let me, we'll do this together. Do you feel weak? I'm right here with you. He is the greatest counselor in the world. So, so we can we pray to our God in this moment. Will you bow your heads with me? And Father, in this moment, I imagine there's some of us here who are experiencing that weakness right now who perhaps are here with some sense of guilt or shame, or maybe they put up a wall against you because they don't want to face that shame. And I pray that they, in this moment, would hear those words from you. Oh, when you're weak, that's when I want to be your strength. We, we thank you for your grace to us, Father, and I pray that in this coming weekend, as we walk through this series, study together, I, I pray you would draw us into walking with you through the empowering of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your goodness to us. It, it stuns us that you even care for us. Thank you for the extent of your love. And we move from here thanking you in God's grace and all God's people say, amen. Amen, amen friends, will you stand with me?